we've been doing a 12-week series through the book of Philippians, actually a letter that Paul wrote to a church uh, in a city called Philippi, and that's where we get the name Philippians from. Um, and so we sent out an email this week. Um, if you're on our email list, you got it, that had some of my highlights from the entire series. I've sort of highlighted for you some of the things that have been really significant for me. I've also put that on my blog, and you can get that at cultivatenj.com. And then at the bottom of the screen, click on where it says blog, and you'll be able to update that. So if you want to kind of recap where we've been or share that with somebody else or maybe even print it out and stick it in your Bible. So if you're going through Philippians at some point in the future and you want kind of a roadmap, that, that may help you to do that. And so today we're actually finishing up uh, this journey that we've been on through the book of Philippians. Uh, so this has been a, a kind of a different shift for us the first time that we've gone through um, a single letter of the Bible. And um, so this has been kind of a, a, a good season for me. Uh, I've learned a lot through this series, and I hope you have too. Um, one of the things, though, that, that Paul does throughout this entire book, he begins with a concept, and he's now ending with a concept. It sort of acts as a bookends of this particular letter, and everything in, be- in between sort of informs that uh, idea. It helps support that idea. And it's the concept of partnership. I don't know if you remember way back now, all the way back, like 12 weeks ago, I know it's an incredibly long time in the past for you to pull out of your memory and recall, uh, but we started out the book by listening to and hearing what God had to say in terms of what it meant to be partners. If you remember in verse 5 and 6, uh, Paul shared this with the Philippian church. He says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. If you remember, we talked about three of the individuals that, that uh, are known to us through another section of the Bible in the book of Acts, chapter 16, where we talked about um, Lydia and a slave girl and a soldier. These three individuals, very different, one affluent, one very poor, one kind of middle class, who sort of come together and form the core team of this new church. And, and what Paul's saying is from that day, when he began that mission, until now, he has joy because they've partnered with him. They've shared in that work with Paul in the gospel all through that time. We think it's somewhere about 11 years of time. Um, so we're actually going to come back to this concept of partnership because it's what Paul ends on. So he begins and then ends with this concept. But you can't talk about partnership uh, without actually talking about the concept of money. Um, Because when Paul says that you've partnered with me from the first day until now, what he's actually saying is you guys have been in partnership with me through prayer and through your financial gifts. It's actually been what has accelerated Paul's ministry to be able to do all the things that he was doing, not just there in Philippi, but all around the Roman world. They had partnered with him in every way, including financially. And if you think about it, the the letter that he's writing, that he sends back to this church in Philippi, is is actually two things. It is a thank you letter for their gift, because remember, he's given to them numerous times. He's even given to them while he's in prison. And it's sort of a receipt for that gift. It's sort of telling them what they're going to get in return and what God is doing through that community. And we've we've kind of encapsulated that with this this idea of being unfinished. Um, So it talks a little bit about money, and so that's kind of where we're going to end, is sort of this idea between what what it looks like to have partnership by giving and uh, being in community with one another. 
The Bible, I don't know if you're aware of this, talks about money a lot. Um, probably over 800 times in both the Old and New Testament, money is talked about in some form or fashion. Jesus himself talked about money in about 25% of his teachings. That's a lot. So if I were to teach as much as Jesus taught on money, we would take one week a month and talk about money here. That is pretty shocking, right? Um, and it's because money is not important in, in of itself, but it reveals something about what we care about, doesn't it? So often what people say is, show me your calendar and your checkbook and I can find out what's important to you. Because where you devote your time and your money is, is obviously what's important. You may say something different, but if you reveal those two things, put them together, it shows what's actually important to you. And so that's why Jesus actually talks about a lot about both time and money and where we spend those two things. Um, and it, it brings up this concept of partnership. Um, early in my Christian life, I was only a Christian, I, I don't know, I guess about two years or so. Is that right, Randy? About two years. Um, and uh, I decided, I think I've told you the story, that, that uh, God was sort of doing something in my heart, and I wanted to respond to that work that he was doing. And so I kind of thought that he was calling me to do a two-week missions trip, and it turned out it was like a two-year internship. And uh, so <laughs> I was thinking very small, and God was thinking very big. And uh, so I ended up deciding to come on staff with a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. Terrible name, great organization. Um, one of the largest, if not the largest, missionary organization in the world. They on 92 countries and have thousands of staff people all over the globe um, teaching people about Jesus and what it means to be partners with him. One of the realities of coming on to that ministry team, it wasn't like being in the church world where you kind of get a salary. Um, you were expected from the lowest person in the organization to the, to the president, all the way up the ladder, every single person within that organization had to raise their own financial support to be able to do it. So I went from thinking that I was going to go on a two-week missions trip and having to raise a couple thousand dollars, which I thought was probably possible, to now being on an internship for two years, I was going to have to raise $30,000 per year for both my salary and ministry expenses. Um, you don't have a very large network, right, when you've only been a Christian for two years, right? So I, I remember going to they had a conference, right, where all the, the people come together and they're going to train us on how to do what they called ministry partner development, uh, MPD. And so I'm thinking in my mind, they're calling it MPD, I'm calling it asking for money. That, that, there was sort of a disconnect between those two things. Um, but I, I learned some, some interesting things there. But I remember sitting around tables with other people that were doing the same thing, and a lot of them had really long established networks of people that they could draw from. Their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, large churches, all kinds of things that they could draw from. And they already had a list. We're sitting there listening to this. I, I'm hearing this for the very first time, how to do this. They've got an established list with, like, how much everyone's going to get. And so we're comparing notes, and they're like, yeah, I've only got a couple thousand left to raise. I've got, like, my parents. I think they're going to give me 50 bucks. And, uh, <laughs> you know... <laughs> I have a younger sister. She's still in high school, probably not you know, going to be able to support, support me very much. Uh, I have a few friends. Most of them are still in college. They're kind of poor. I, my list isn't long, right? <laughs> it, 
it is a very short list. I think I totaled up what I think people might give, and I got like $1,500. Okay, um, we're going to have to do some work on this. So it was an interesting time because it was a very faith-stretching moment in my life because I had to kind of stop, pause, and go, okay, if, if this is really where God is leading me to go, and I felt strongly at that point that it was, then God's going to have to show up in a major way. Because I don't have a, ba- a big support network. I wasn't going to a very large church. It was about this size, maybe slightly bigger. But I didn't know a whole lot of people there. And so I'm thinking, God, where is this all going to come from? It was, it was amazing, though, when I started to make phone calls, when I started to kind of work the very few connections that I did have, I found out that there were a lot of people, actually, who were willing to support me. And, and I remember thinking, why in the world... Would they do this? Um, I, I feel strongly it's my calling, but, but why are people suddenly coming out of nowhere, seemingly wanting to, to kind of help along in this journey? And I kind of got the impression over, th- I only had three months to raise it, by the way, um, over that time period that, that people wanted to become partners because they saw what was happening through this particular ministry wanted to join with it and saw that as an expression of being able to partner with Jesus and do amazing things in places where they wouldn't have the ability to sort of go and reach and impact themselves. I could, and so by partnering with me, they could sort of be there too, right? And so I didn't have a lot of wealthy connections, but the people that I did have had a heart for Jesus and knew what it meant to become partners, And so by God's grace, three months later, I'd raised every single penny that I needed to be able to go and to do that work that God was calling me to do. It was an amazing time. A lot of sleepless nights, to be honest with you. But an amazingly faith-stretching journey. And I bring up this story because in a lot of ways, the people that I sort of met along the way and partnered with and were able to to give towards what God was doing in my ministry um, had a very... I'll put it this way, a very Philippian heart. Um, they saw themselves in the same light as, as this particular church did. Um, Paul talks about them, and they're probably the most generous church in the entire New Testament. Uh, not because they were wealthy, but because they knew what it meant to partner with Jesus. And uh, Paul actually uses them as an example to other churches. So to the Corinthian church, this is another church in a city called Corinth, he actually uses this church as an example and says it's not because they were wealthy, their generosity actually welled up out of extreme poverty. It's an amazing thing Um, because that church knew what it meant. They kind of understood the nature of partnerships. And I think it's a lot that we can sort of learn from as we're kind of wrapping up the end of this book because Paul brings out some of these things. And so we're actually going to talk about five different things that good partners do, five things that they understand that make them great partners. And so we'll sort of look at each of these things that they do. We'll sort of inspect it for ourselves and then see if we can get some applications for here at Cultivate, okay? So the first thing is this, that uh, good partners give and receive. There's an exchange that happens. They both give and receive. And Paul says this, uh, starting verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of our acquaintance with the gospel, 
when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Um, Every partnership that you enter into requires some kind of exchange. Isn't that true? So in a marriage, you're exchanging commitment with one another. You're actually exchanging yourselves. You're saying, I'm committing to you and you only. You're exchanging that commitment with the other person who is committing themselves to you and you only for the rest of your lives. There's an exchange that goes on. There's a giving of yourself and a receiving. If it only becomes about receiving, that marriage will fail. It's doomed for destruction because it needs to be both giving and receiving. If one person just sees the marriage as giving, 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 sometimes that's the case also, and never receiving, that's parenting. That's not marriage. Right? (laughs) Why do a lot of women say that? (laughs) Didn't expect to get such a reaction from that one. Moving on. Think of business partnerships. There is a giving and receiving. Some person is bringing maybe finances to the table. The other person is bringing skill. One one person is bringing experience. The other person is bringing connections and networking. And the partnership works because there is a giving and receiving. There is an exchange of ideas, information, finances, commitment, all of those things which make good partnerships work. Again, if the giving or the receiving breaks down, that partnership will fail. Same way. Um, Even national alliances, you think of, you know, nations that partner with one another. There is a giving and a receiving that happens. Uh, It it is no different in the church world. Uh, Whenever there are two churches or people that partner with a church, there is both a giving and a receiving. Uh, So what I want to do is talk actually about both of those things real briefly. So what does it mean to give? Um, When it comes to giving... There's a few different places in the Bible that people turn to to talk about giving and what that looks like. And most churches kind of rely on the Old Testament. And they look back at the Old Testament and see that there was something called a tithe. You've heard that word before. We talk about it a lot. Um, And tithe just means literally 10%. And so what happened in the Old Testament when people were part of the nation of Israel, there there were different tribes, and different tribes specialized in different things. One of those tribes was the Levites, and they were the priestly order. They took care of the temple and the worship and the sacrifices to God and everything that required uh, to, to worship their God. And so it was required by the rest of the nation that they would set aside 10% of their income to go towards the Levite order and what was happening at the temple to support that ministry because they were dedicated only to that ministry. They couldn't make money of, them, of themselves on their own. And so they needed 10% from the rest of the nation to support that. Um, but that's not all. There were other things that were happening in the nation at the time. There were different festivals uh, and sacrifices and all kinds of different things going on. There were always poor people and aliens and strangers that were coming into the nation, and they would have an obligation biblically to support those people too. And so some people think there was tithe, and in addition to that, was somewhere even up to 25% of their income that people would give away to other people uh, to support both the worship and the other things that were happening in the nation. Um, In the New Testament, and already I've said that Paul talks about this with the Corinthian church, in 2 Corinthians 9, he sort of outlines maybe a, a new basis for giving. 
And we might call that grace giving. In other words, it's not just based on a number. It's based on some principles. Uh, and so most churches just rely on the tithe. Um, but maybe a better system is to actually look at what Paul is saying. Because he says four things. He says, when you're giving, I want you to give with the understanding of these four things. It's got to be sacrificial, regular, cheerful, and proportional. So when you're giving, you think of these four things in order to adjust the amount. And the first thing is ask yourselves this question. Is it sacrificial? When I'm giving, is it taking a sacrifice in order to give it? Because here's the thing. If you base your giving on just 10%, For some people who are very affluent, 10% isn't sacrificial at all, right? It's just sort of a very low portion in their income. They can give it without sacrifice. Paul's saying, I want you to give sacrificially. On the the flip side, um, for people that aren't affluent at all or very poor, 10% is a lot. It's a lot to ask for, right? So if if it's a single mom um, struggling on one income to feed her family, then 10% is going to be an incredible burden on her to, to give. So what Paul says is don't give based on the percentage. Give based on what's sacrificial. He also says it should be regular. In other words, uh, it shouldn't be when you sort of feel like it, right? Um, well, I kind of feel like it today, or my bank account's a little bit higher than it was last week, and so I'll give from what I have. He says, no, it should be a regular thing. It should be something that's planned out in advance on a weekly basis, monthly basis, bi-yearly basis, yearly basis. Something that you decide ahead of time that you're going to do, and then you fulfill that commitment to God in your life. Fourth thing, he says it should be cheerful. So many of us give out of obligation because we feel guilty, uh, or we feel like there's a need, and so I need to give in response to it because there's a need, but I I don't really want to give, but because there's a need, I'll give. He says, no, it should be cheerful. It should be in response to the love that God has given into your life. Because God is a giver, we give in response. Because Jesus has given all things to us, we give freely to others, and we're glad about it. We have joy over it. We know that God is using it when we're generous with others to expand our generosity and our love for him and our love for other people. Lastly, he says it should be proportional, um, meaning that it should be something that we decide in advance as a proportion of our income and not something that we do sort of on a whim. The reason that I bring this up is because Paul uses this particular church um, to demonstrate what it's like to be a faithful partner through giving to other churches that he's visiting. I suspect that if he's done it with the church in Corinth, he's done it with a bunch of other churches as well. I mean, think of that. What if if the church was so incredibly responsible, so incredibly in love with Jesus, took the the call to be partners with what God was doing here in this church and around the world to such a degree that they were known to other churches in the area for giving, and and you get people coming saying, I want to learn about how to partner better, and you guys are already doing it. Let me learn from you. That would be an incredible thing, and that's exactly what's going on here. He says, if you want to know how to give, then look at Philippi, because this is how they do it. They give not just out of wealth, but they give out of generosity that's welled up even from poverty. So there's some people that estimate that they may have given up to 40% of their income, not just to their church, but to see Paul go and plant other churches in the area. Um, I think the reality is this. 
when it comes to the church world, uh, there tend to be two different kinds of people. There are partners and there are takers. There are people that see partnering as both this giving and receiving act, this sort of dance that we play with the church in partnership together. And there are sort of those people that come into the church as the consumer. They just sort of bring their American identity in. They sit in the seat and they go, what can you give me? I'm here, right? And, and sometimes those people can be some of the best givers, but it's not out of the right place, correct? And so they can put a lot of money in the offering plate and then go, give me a good show. I paid for it, right? It's a very common attitude to have. And there tend to be takers and partners. People who partner never see it that way. They see it as, as, a, as a community, as a group of people that they're giving to and that they receive from. Which kind of leads us to the next thing. What does it mean to receive? Because partnering isn't just about giving. Uh, if it was just about giving, then why would you be here? It's about receiving too. Uh, and I would say this. It means that we realize first and foremost that God is a giver. I'm going to say that again because it's really important and I want you to understand it. It means that we realize above all things that our God is a giver. He gives. He gives of himself freely. He gives us every good thing that we possess. He is constantly giving. He's given us life and salvation. He's given us his son. He's given us his spirit to empower us to do great things. He's given us this church. He's given us this property. He's a giver. I've learned that more and more over the last six months than, than at any point in my, in my life, even going back to that experience trying to raise money on my own, uh, that God is a giver. And we are sitting here as a direct result of God's good gifts to us as a church. I was hoping you'd say that without my prompting you. <laughs> Think of it this way, though. Every other religion, every other group, um, God is a taker, correct? Um, so you're, you have to give money in order to appease guilt and get on good terms with God. You need to go and take a pilgrimage somewhere uh, in order to please God and then get on his good side. Um, you need to go to purgatory and pay for that sin over who knows how long a period of time and have people give money and pray for you while you're there in order to spring you out and appease God. You, you need to uh, sort of reincarnate yourself over and over and over again, hoping that the next reincarnation brings about enough good deeds that you can somehow spring yourself from this repetitive cycle and get yourself on good terms with God. All of those things, God is a taker, right? Um, even, and this goes back a long way, there's, a, there's some other... Um, sort of competing religions that were happening about the time that Israel was coming alive. And, and sort of academics would love to, to sort of look back in that and say, see, Israel was just like every other nation. The God of Israel was like the God of this, like the God of that. All those other things, though, God was a taker, not a giver. And all of their stories about how God came to being and how he actually created beings um, say essentially the same thing, that God created people so that people could worship God. He created them to get something out of them. Ours is different. We have something called the Trinity in Christianity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
And the story of the Bible is completely different. It says that God, out of love, welled up in such a way that it couldn't be contained anymore within Father, Son, and Spirit. And so creation burst into being. It's an expression of God's love and his gifts and his generosity. That's why we're created. That's why he welcomes us back in, because God is a giver. Again, like I said, he gives us life. He gives us new life through his son. He gives us his spirit freely, and then we can be empowered to live a brand new life, to put away the old things, to put on the new. He says he makes us a new creation. All those things are gifts from God that we do nothing for, correct? He gives us salvation. One day, he'll give us resurrection. We'll be able to live with him forever in a perfect world that has no sin and no disease and no tears and no crying, no shame, no crime. All good gifts that God gives. God is a giver. Because God is a giver, he expects his church, who he's given so much to understand what it means to be a partner and to partner with him in both giving and receiving. So we give in response to what he's given to us. God does a good work in you. You respond by giving back. Uh, The second thing is this. The partners are aware of needs. Not just that there's a giving and receiving, but there's an awareness of needs. And Paul says this in verse 16. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again, when I was in need. Uh, In other words, you could put it this way. Uh, They didn't wait to get begged by Paul to send gifts. Right? Paul was out there serving other churches. They perceived that there was a need that Paul had, and then they gave freely to meet that need that he had. They paid attention. The partner is someone who is always looking for opportunities to come alongside of other people who are in need and respond to that need in a way that honors God and serves the other person. How do they know that he was in need? Because they communicated with him regularly. They checked in. There was a relationship that was going on. They were in partnership together. It wasn't just a one-time gift. See you later, Paul. Hope you have good days. Um, Let us know how things go if you ever come back this way. That wasn't it at all. They were partners with him. So let me ask this. Are you attentive to the needs of other people? When a need arises, uh, are you, do you see yourself as a partner and rise to meet that need and help other people because Jesus loves you and gave you all kinds of stuff? Are you aware of needs? And when you see those needs, do you rise to meet them? The third thing that Paul talks about is this. Partners exceed every need. They don't just meet them, but great partners exceed those needs that are there. In verse 17, he says, Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment, and even more, I am amply supplied. In other words, they didn't just give the minimum requirement, right? They weren't like the safe auto of of the church world, you know? We'll just, you know, we'll, we'll get you enough to get there. We'll sort of give you gas money. But after that, you're kind of on your own. Which, by the way, would have been perfectly reasonable for them to do, correct? Think of how, I mean, if they're really in poverty, um, it would be very easy for them just to meet the minimum requirements and say, Paul, I hope, hope you, you know, get the rest. We'll be praying for you. 
um, know that, that this is just this is what we can give and we can't give any more. And, uh, and we hope that you're fruitful. We'll be praying for you. Go out there and get them. They didn't do that. It says that Paul had every need exceeded. He had ample supply, more than enough. And it was because they partnered with him. Um, so when it comes to your activity here, do you intentionally give the minimum? Or do you look for opportunities to give more than what's needed? To give in abundance, because God has blessed you in abundance. And let me just say this. I think as a church, we're doing a great job at this. And so I want to encourage you and say, I really see it. Um, I'm really thankful for it. And I want us to see us continue to do that as we move forward. Because we've been, as a church, about 15% over budget since January. Is that right? Yeah, 15%. Um, and that budget that we set was, was sort of a middle ground between what we felt were sort of the low and high end. So we picked something in the middle between what we felt was a regional, reasonable budget. And as a church, we've exceeded that and been on the high end. And so I want to encourage you and say thank you for continuing to partner with us in that way because as a church, we need that strong foundation and we need that faith-stretching sort of ability to say, yeah, we, we have that ability. God has given us so much and we're going to give in response and we're going to see it move forward. Um, the fourth thing that, that Paul brings up is this. Partners view giving as worship. They view it as worship. Um, and he, he outlines it this way. He says, Not, Now that I have received, received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent me, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. You think about what kind of worship that is. That's worship language. It's an offering. It's a sacrifice. It's pleasing to God. In other words, Paul's saying, your gifts to me, they weren't just about me. They weren't about what I was doing in the world. They were about God. And what you saw when you partnered with me is that you perceived that by giving to me, you were actually giving to Jesus. Um, this is why, actually, as a church, we take our offering during our response time is because we see it as a response, not just to what's happening in this church, but to God and what he's doing in your life. And by giving in response to that, it's an act of worship. It's letting go something from within you to give towards what God is doing out of love for him, out of response to what he's up to. We give because God first gave to us, and he delights when we understand that as followers of his son, we should be givers too. That as people who are increasingly giving ourselves over to God, there should be an increasing generosity in our lives, not a decreasing one. So I would put it this way. Do you see your partnership with Cultivate as an obligation or as an opportunity to provide blessing? That's really the question. We don't want you to give out of obligation. If, if that's kind of your MO, then please don't give. We, we want to see people give cheerfully, because they love God and they want to serve him and they want to see this community grow because we're partnering with him. The last thing that Paul talks about is that partners have their needs met in return. This is where it gets good. He says this, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. 
Here's the thing, though. People love to take this verse out of context, right? They just say, God is going to meet all of our needs. Um, you know, God, God just does good things for, you know. We, we sort of yank this verse out of the context of, of which it was written, and we say it just sort of applies to every situation. Is that the case here? Not when you view it in light of what he's talking about. He's saying, look, you guys have partnered with me, and because you've seen that it's not just me you partner with, but Jesus, Jesus, who I represent, is going to represent you and meet every need that you have. It's not some sort of cosmic slot machine, right, where we sort of go to God and we sort of pull the lever and hope it comes up all cherries. And then, you know, we sort of get everything in response. And, Yay, you know. it's in response to their partnership with Paul the promise of the partnership didn't come through Paul it comes through Jesus and they had enough confidence in what Paul was doing that they said we see that you partner with God and because that we're willing to partner with you so let me ask this we're talking about needs Um, take a second and think about what what is the greatest need that you have in your life You don't have to say it out loud, but um, think about the greatest need that you have in your life. Because we've been talking about partnering as being sort of a lot of giving. And I want you to see this, that what happens in response. That when we partner with Jesus, Jesus fulfills all these five things that we've already talked about. When you partner with Jesus, when you give over your life to him, there is a giving and receiving that happens, correct? We give him... Our life, he gives us his life. We give him our sin, he gives us his righteousness. We give him our shame, he gives us cleansing. We give him our sin, he gives us forgiveness. There's a giving and receiving that happens when we partner with Jesus. Jesus is the perfect partner, let me put it that way. So you may have had a number of partnerships in your life that went sour. I've had them in mind. You may have relationships that you thought, this person, I'm going to partner with them, they're going to partner with me, and everything's going to work out, and they didn't uphold their end of the agreement. You may have had a business deal that went sour because there was a a giving that you gave, and, and they didn't give in response, and so the whole thing went bad. Jesus is the perfect partner. He will always give, because that's who he is. And you have the ability to always receive, because he always gives. There's a receiving and a giving that happens when we partner with Jesus. The second thing is, Jesus is always aware of your needs. He is always aware of your needs. Did you know that? So that need that you sort of internally voice to yourself, he's aware of it. He knows it. It may be financial, relational, physical, mental, spiritual. He knows what that need is. Psalm 145, 19 says this. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. He hears. He isn't just the perfect partner because he gives. He also knows exactly what your needs are and gives in response to them. And by the way, number three, he meets and exceeds every need that you have. 
No matter what that need is, he gives in proportion so that it is met in, in, in its entirety. Not only that, but his partnership with you is in line with God's love. For Jesus' giving isn't out of obligation. His partnering with, it, with you isn't because he feels bad for you. His partnering with you is because he loves you. And he loves his Father, and he does everything that his Father asks him to do, even dying on a cross, even being scorned and shamed, and needing to rise three days later. He does it in accordance with God's love. You may know the verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Whoever should believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you and loves his Father, and because of that, he's willing to partner with you through everything. And the last is this, that the, the result is, just like we have our needs met, that God has, quote-unquote, his needs met. We know that God has no needs, right? He's perfectly sufficient in and of himself. He can do what he pleases. But since he's without need, Paul includes this verse, verse 20. says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You may ask, what does God get in return? I mean, he seems to give so much. What is his aim? What is he up to? It's really this that he get glory. All that means is that people everywhere would see him for exactly who he is. For exactly who he is. Because the more you get to know God and who he is, the more glory you give him, the more worship you give him, because the more you appreciate him and what he's doing in your life, the more you see him work around the world and partner with him through our church and with other ministries, the more you get an appreciation for just how much his power is at work in so many different groups of people, and they all seem to be sort of working it together for God's glory. That's his aim. That's what he gets in return. What made the the Philippian church such great partners of Paul is that they understood that their partnering with Paul meant that they were partnering with Jesus. Because they loved Jesus, they were willing to give everything of themselves to see Paul's ministry flourish. And here's the thing. It was whether it directly benefited them or not. They may have gotten something in return. They may not have. That didn't stop them from being able to give. They saw themselves as being a steward of blessing. So let me sort of flip the equation and talk about our church. Um, Because the Philippian church saw that Paul wasn't working for himself, but working for Jesus, they had full confidence that they could partner with him. I hope over these six months plus, as you've been a part of this church, that you've seen in actuality, not just in talk, that this church is about being a blessing for other people and partnering with Jesus. If you haven't picked up on that, um, then I'm sorry, because that's my fault. We really do the leadership of this church, want to be a church that goes and blesses other people. It's why we take the first 10% of everything that comes in and we give it away towards the various ministries that bless people that aren't here this morning. We do it through the food pantry. We do it through the garden. 
We, we've donated massive amounts of money. You can check out our budget and see how much we've just given to these various projects to have no direct blessing back to us. Same thing with our property, with, with this place that God has blessed us with. We don't own it, but we're stewards of it. And because we're stewards of it, we say it's not just about being a blessing to ourselves, but it's be about being a blessing to others. And so we developed a garden that blesses other people, people that live in condos and can't grow things themselves but would love to have fresh vegetables to put on their table for their kids to enjoy. I met one couple last week that was out there doing that very thing. I actually went out while you guys were worshiping in here. Sorry, Scott, but I missed part of the sermon. Uh, <laughs> but one of, the, one of the, the questions that we asked ourselves very early on is that if God has blessed us by being able to use this incredible facility, let's facilitate ministry and community through it. And because we don't have an enormous building, but we have a very large plot of land and a very open field that seems to have no other use other than what we might make of it, let's turn it into a garden and bless others through it, right? That's being a partner with Jesus so that other people get and receive blessing. As a church, this is what we've been about. This is what I want us to continue to be about as we move forward. So I'll, I'll even put it as strong as this, and this is my challenge. Um, if you, as a, a partner, as a person who comes and is a part of the community here at Cultivate, if you see us partnering with Jesus, then partner with us. I'll say that again. If you see us partnering with Jesus, and I hope you have, then partner with us. Because it's not just about us, it's about what God is doing through us. When the day comes that you see us no longer partnering with Jesus, partner with somebody else who does. You don't often hear that from the pulpit, do you? <laughs> but I'll put it that strongly. Because as a church, if we stop partnering with Jesus, then we don't deserve you partnering with us. Correct? Your first obligation is to Jesus. It's not to us. Partner with him. And if that means you need to partner with someone else to do it, then do that. But if you see us partnering with Jesus, then by all means, get on board. Because we're partnering with him. And we want you to partner with us as we move forward together with what God is doing here in this church, locally, through us, not just somewhere else. We believe powerfully in this. Um, Paul finishes the letter, his very last verses, uh, with some evidence. And I love this. I picked up on this early in the week. And he finishes it with this great sort of tidbit that, that we may miss, uh, but I think it's vitally important that God is finishing his work. Paul throws in what seems to be a very minor detail, um, but it's worth noting. He says in verse 21, Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send their greeting. All the saints send you greeting. What does he say? Especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Very important tidbit that he throws in there. Remember all the way back in um, week one, when we started out the Unfinished series, I gave you a definition of partnership. And you probably don't remember it. I won't expect you to, but I'll let you know what it is. 
partnership is when two parties, two entities, enter into a contractual agreement together in order to achieve a commonly desired goal. Do you remember something along those lines? So in other words, two people have the same desire, they have the same goal, they say, I'm going to work together and bring what I've got to the table so that we can move forward. Um, so do you remember, I, I mentioned this, what that common desire was that Paul has with the Philippian church. There's a common desire that both of them have, and, he's, and he talks about it in a number of places. He says, my desire, which is your desire, is that the good news about Jesus Christ would spread throughout the Roman world. That it wouldn't just stay in a pocket in a, in a small church in Philippi, but that it would spread like wildfire everywhere, right? Because if it's about Jesus, Jesus brings a whole lot of good stuff to this world. And so we want as many people to know about him and to be in relationship with him as possible. The tidbit is so important because Paul is saying, oh, by the way, your partnership's working. Because not only have there been other Christians who are here with me, there are Christians in Caesar's household. Do you know who Caesar was? He's the most powerful person in the entire world. Paul actually contrasts him when talking about Jesus in, in chapter 2. And what he's saying is, don't miss this, guys. There are people within Caesar's inner circle who are now Christians, who are now following Jesus rather than Caesar. That's an amazing fact. What it says to me is this, that God's unfinished work is getting finished. It's getting finished. And, and so Paul is kind of throwing in this tidbit, like, you know, keep partnering with me because it's happening. It's going forward. And the evidence is even Caesar's closest people are now becoming Christians. This would have been unimaginable 60 years prior, even 30 years prior. And you think about after Jesus died, there are 12 guys who are scared out of their minds, wetting themselves in an upper room that's locked to the outside world because they're afraid people are going to come in and kill them. Correct? Just a few years down the road, Paul is saying there are people in the palace of the most powerful person in the world who are now following the same God that you do, and they're praying for the person who seems to be most against what God is up to in the world. Less than 200 years later, that Roman emperor, not this person, but the person who succeeds them down the road, becomes a Christian himself. Over the course of 300 years, Christianity goes from a, a non-existent religion to having sway in the most powerful nation in the world to that point in time. That's a very short period of time when you take into account all of human history, correct? He's saying that the unfinished work that has begun is beginning to get finished. I don't know about you, but this gives me a great amount of hope for us. Look around you today. Go ahead. Look around. Sort of a half full room, right? For summer, that's not good. That's not bad, right? <laughs> um, it's hard for us to imagine what begins here today going to such lengths that it would affect hundreds if not thousands of people around our communities and around South Jersey. 
The way that Paul ends this letter tells me that that is possible. Not just possible, but probable if we partner with Jesus in all things. It's pretty extraordinary truth, right? And I think what Paul would want us to do is apply that to where we are sitting here today. We may not look powerful. We may, we may not look influential. We're starting to get there through some of the ministries. But we're choosing to partner with Jesus. We're choosing to use the resources that God's given us to go and to bless other people. And I think what Paul is saying here is that that work will bear more fruit than you're going to be able to handle. It's going to happen, so get ready for it. Um, that gives me a great amount of hope. If we do, if we do partner with him, I have full confidence that God will one day look back on today, on this situation, and he'll say, that was the day that my work started to become finished. Right? Can you see that? Can you start to believe that? Let that impact the way that you have relationships with other people. Start to invite them here and say, come and see and be a part of what God's doing here because it's amazing. Not because of us, because of God. Because we trust him. Because he's working powerfully in us. There is an unfinished work that God has for this church to do. The question is, are we willing to partner with him to do it? Amen? All right, let's pray.